Brother Tan, may I invite you to sit on a chair? I think it's okay. When Dr. Wong tell me say that when he visited Nananda two years ago, he tell me say, Brother Jerry, you must say what the word you must visit Nananda. First time he tell me, I say yes, I will. Second he tell me say I will try. And third time say I must go. And I we do, we did really we did really make it I think last year during our student trip period we uh, tripped or this, uh, this year, and we divert to Nananda. And 70 of us, I would say that everyone was mesmerized by the center. Based on nine years of history, nine, seven, uh, 90 members, less than 100 active members, sorry, less than 170 members, they are able to churn out the, a number of activities uh, within such a short period of time. And I tell myself that I must invite this man to Singapore. And we waited patiently for three months. And here today, in fact, he just arrived in Singapore and he has been speaking non-stop since 12 o'clock and to the youth, to the ESCO, and now to the, the general public, to the general members here. And uh, we have learned a lot. And uh, I want to uh, just open up to the floor and just to, because he was turned off, we say Buddhist education, because initially the topics will be to some of the center to learn from them. But since it's a kind of, uh, look at the crowd, it's an open crowd, so I think he suggests that we will, he will start off with the Buddhist education, and you can just ask him any questions regarding Dharma. And we learned just now that there's a formula education plus cultivation equal transformation. So this is what we learned in the early afternoon. So I think uh, I will just maybe pass the mic to Brother Tan, maybe to do some start-off first, kick-off first, to make the ball rolling, and then the floor can ask him any questions. Okay? Brother Tan. Namo Buddhaya. May all uh, gathered here be well and peaceful. And uh, thank you, uh, Brother Jerry, for your kind introduction and also your invitation uh, for tonight's uh, sharing. And the way Brother Jerry describes Nalanda makes me want to visit also. <laughs> <laughs> I never see it that way, you know, because every day we are in and out, and to me it's just a, a very normal place where, where we go to, to render services as well as to, to teach and more importantly to learn. Nalanda Centre is an education centre. It's not for me to go there to teach. It's more for me to go there to learn. Yeah. And uh, uh, myself and yourself probably, uh, this is the first time I, I see the video. Um, because last night, um, um, someone knocked at my room at about 11.15 and said, Brother Tan, the office sent this uh, CD to you. I said, what's it? Uh, I said, oh, it's, it's about uh, Nalanda. And I said, Okay, I, I don't have time to view it. Um, I'm too tired. And uh, I kept it until now. This is the first time I see what Nalanda is doing. <laughs> but it's amazing that uh, after years of doing things, 
And when you have a sort of like a, a barometer statistics, and uh, um, for example, the Nalanda Institute after its establishment in uh, 2007, um, we have had three courses uh, under two departments, the Leadership and Management Studies Department, which uh, gives uh, training to uh, committee members, uh, youth leaders, society leaders, Dhamma teachers from Dhamma schools, uh, in terms of managing Dhamma centers as well as teaching Dhamma to the public. Um, and the other department is Buddhist and Pali studies, which are very popular because uh, many people are interested to learn uh, Buddhism uh, from the Buddha's own words. And the, the way to do it is to uh, learn from a commentary course on the Pali scriptures. And uh, sometimes the courses, we have a uh, um, few hundred people, one course. And um, um, they come all the way from Jakarta, thanks to Air Asia. Uh, they can just, now everyone can fly. <laughs> and they fly in for the day and they go back the last flight. Because they have like seven, eight flights a day to KL Jakarta. And people also come from uh, all over Malaysia. So even over uh, five, five uh, years, we have just celebrated the fifth anniversary of the Institute. Um, it's amazing to see that there are more than uh, 8,000 participants that have gone through uh, training and uh, uh, courses at Nalanda Institute, and not to mention the, the other divisions. So we operate on a divisional level. Uh, we have the Nalanda Institute. We have Dhamma School catering for teenagers. We have a free school with about 460 children coming every week to Nalanda Center for free tuition and classes. And uh, we have a branch center that operates independently with its own uh, activities. And we have the library as a division, not as an addition, but as a division in itself. So that they don't just catalog books and keep books in a nice arrangement, but think of activities that are related to reading for people who are geared towards reading. So we spin out as soon as we see some viable uh, areas that we can, we can uh, spin off, we do that. And uh, in May of uh, this year, we started the youth center. Rather than call it a youth group or youth session, uh, we said no youth center and we give you three years you can use our premises for three years. In three years' time, you have to go out and get yourself your own center. Yeah. So we call it a youth center from the very beginning. So that is a tall order. So we, we, give people, we like to give people a bit of stress uh, to begin with. And then they know how to, thank you, and they know how to, to work about and, and cope with it. But uh, um, I think it's... it's uh, nothing remarkable that what Nalanda has achieved and uh, I'm not saying that because uh, it's, it's a modesty or false humility and so on but I, I feel that if we look back then only we see that a lot has been achieved uh, we have covered quite a distance I heard uh, uh, Brother T's name even before I saw him in a, in a person and uh, you know his fame and name uh, precedes him and when he looks back, uh, then only he, he sees that actually I've, I've helped a lot of people and I've, I've covered a lot of grounds. But I'm sure a person like him does not look back, he looks forward. Not look forward to uh, more people in strife and suffering, or not look forward to more people dying. But looking forward to, in those natural moments, in those natural uh, 
passages of life, how can we, as the member of the same community, offer our help, assistance and support? I'm sure uh, everyone who has done a lot for the Buddha Sasana do not always look back their shoulders and see how much they have covered. But there's a certain degree of looking at the present moment and with uh, a vision for the future. So I think this is uh, something to begin with. Um, how we, we, we journey uh, in our uh, sasana, how we journey in our uh, public service is also very important to determine whether we go all the way or halfway stop, you know, halfway breakdown or, or halfway retirement uh, before due age. Yeah. So um, tonight, since this is a very uh, public uh, group, I, I, I thought of uh, uh, maybe changing the, the style of uh, our sharing more to cover on uh, what is Buddhist education. Although Nalanda has these five divisions, plus the society itself, that makes it six, um, every division is geared towards doing education. Um, we do not have uh, many kinds of services, uh, for example, uh, uh, supporting people who are very sick, very ill, uh, need uh, palliative care, or people who are uh, just pass away in our individual capacity because in care we don't have enough monks so sometimes you have to use bogus monks um, to go to hospital to, to talk to people you know and, and do some chanting and, and talk to the family members and so on so uh, two nights out of every week uh, whenever I'm in KL I'm called to, to the hospitals sometimes at 1am I mean people die at any hour so you just basically have to go to the hospital and anyhow. And this we do on a personal basis. But Nalanda itself only focuses on education. For the simple fact that with uh, 70 members and with so little resources, we can only do uh, so much. You know? It's like uh, all of us uh, stretch out and if there are only 70 people, we can only cover this, this room, this hall, even if we stretch to the maximum. But if we have 700 people, probably we can cover the size maybe uh, five times or, or ten times this room. But with that much, we have to prioritize what we do and what, what we don't do. And uh, what we do uh, is what I think the Buddha um, um, left as a legacy and as a heritage. Remember an incident that happened in the town of Nalanda in India. You know, the Buddha was a, a traveler, and the Buddha goes from place to place. And once he came to the town of Nalanda, at that time, Nalanda is like a new town. Like uh, today, I don't know, uh, Pasiris, or, or I mean, it's developing very fast, and uh, it's well connected to the capital, Rajagaha. It's not that far away. And the people uh, started to move to Nalanda uh, due to uh, opening up of new rice fields and agricultural plots. The king has granted Nalanda as a special zone. So it was booming. So the Buddha in his travel stopped by in this town. There was a, a layman, a Buddhist by the name of Kevata. And he came to the Buddha, paid respects and said, Lord, this Nalanda is prosperous and you can see more and more people are moving to this town. But Many other religions also and religious teachers also come and teach their doctrine. And uh, it would be good if the Lord allows our bhikkhus, our monks, to perform some kind of magic 
to perform some kind of miracle so that many of these town folks will come to listen to, to our monks preaching rather than go to other uh, religious teachers. Now he said, put it somewhere, something like that. And the Buddha said, no, I wouldn't allow that. For the second time, Kevada asked, please, Lord, allow our monks to perform some miracles so that those without faith will increase their faith. You know? And those that are already faithful will enhance and deepen their faith. And secondly, the second time, the Buddha said, no. So the third time, he asked again you know, in, a, in a different way. And yet the Buddha said no three times. Usually at the third request, the Buddha would say, okay. But in this case, the Buddha said no three times. Then the Buddha explained, Kevata, he said, Kevada. He said, there are three kinds of miracles. Three kinds of miracles. One kind of miracle is uh, performing magic. Okay? For example, uh, a, a preacher who has uh, abhinya, who has uh, uh, what you call special powers due to their meditation and attainment. They can uh, make themselves appear big. Not the body growing big, but in the eyes of the people, they can appear big to, to others. Or they can appear small, and then they can also disappear from view. They can disappear from here and appear there. They can walk on water as if it is land. You know, they can uh, jump into, plunge into land as if it is water. They can fly through airs and sit cross-legged you know, while hovering in the air, and so on. So this is one type of miracle due to abhinya, we say. Abhinya means special uh, faculties or special abilities. You know? So it's like a miracle. You know? Walking on water is miraculous. You know? yeah, walking on ice is nothing. But walking on water, wow, that's miraculous. And it can be done. The second type of uh, uh, miracle is a, a mind reading. Okay? Now you are thinking this way. Now you are thinking like that. Ah, now you are changing your thoughts. Now you are, wow, people will be very impressed, isn't it? With the second type. First type also people will be impressed. You walk on water, you fly in the air. Imagine I'm not sitting on a chair, I'm like floating here. And there. You know, I think the, the, the crowd, we have to use Suntec City. You know? so people would book Suntec City, everyone would go there on a Saturday or Sunday to see someone preaching, floating in the air, or not using the mic, but 10,000 people can hear. That kind of things, people are interested. Also, when you can read people's mind, now this is it, now this is that. Uh, you, sister, you are thinking this way. But not you, sister, you are thinking like that. People will be impressed. You see? Then they will come in droves. Uh, this was the purpose, Kevada asked the Buddha, permit the monks to do this. Yeah. These two types of miracles mentioned, third type of miracle, the Buddha said. He called it Anusasani Patihariya. In Thai, we call it Patihan. Patihan means uh, in Pali, Patihariya. Patihariya means miracle. Anusasani means gradual instruction. Or in modern terms, we use the term education. The miracle of education. So he said there are three types of miracle. What is the miracle of education? Okay, previously, a person who is very greedy. With education, the person gives up being greedy, gives up being selfish. In fact, becomes very generous and transformed into a liberal giver. Now that, isn't it a miracle? 
Previously, a person is very angry and prone to anger. You know, deep with anger. You know, everything also get angry. But with proper instruction and education, now not only he has abandoned anger, given up anger, but become a person who is very caring, very kind, very compassionate, uh, with metta. Isn't that a miracle? And previously, a person may be very foolish, may be stupid, may take the inessential as the essential. But what is important, they say, is not important. But now, after proper instruction, then they see things as they are, and then uh, become very wise, and then uh, live wisely, act wisely, behave wisely, you know, and prone towards wisdom. Isn't that miraculous? So the Buddha said there are these three types of miracle. He only approves of the third type, the miracle of education. You can read about it in the Digha Nikaya, uh, number 11. It's called Kevada Sutta. This happened at the town of Nalanda, coincidentally. So, uh, there's no other choice but to do education. Because, as I explained in the afternoon, Buddhism is not a belief system. Buddhism is an education system. Uh, There is uh, no dogma that we have to accept before we become a Buddhist. But as a Buddhist, we start to investigate so that, uh, free from dogma and bondages, we understand and realize what truth and what reality is. So it's an education system, it's not a belief system. So Nalanda's uh, work is geared towards performing this uh, miracle of education. And uh, of course, uh, uh, we, we have to be very patient. And uh, before that, we also have to be very patient with ourselves to be educated in the Dhamma, to be independent in the Dhamma, before we, we can even impart that Dhamma to uh, the public as well as to the younger generation. So it's a, it's a long process of uh, getting educated, and it's also a very long process of educating the public. And uh, I, I don't feel that whatever we have achieved is uh, um, worthy yet, though a lot of good has been done, but uh, the potential of the, uh, the, the action and the potential of the education uh, can last uh, uh, much longer and uh, much greater. You understand? For example, if you have eaten a mango nine years ago and uh, you, you love that mango and you, you probably take the seed and plant it in your the, the back uh, yard. Now, nine years later, you, you probably have your first or second harvest of mango, right? How long does it take for mango to ripen, uh, to, to, to fruit? Do you know that? How many years? Huh? Well, in the kampong, it used to be longer. In the north where I come from, uh, because of the drier climate, uh, mangoes are really, really nice. They're really nice. But we have to wait longer. Nowadays, uh, within three years, you, you, you get your first fruit. But they are always sour and not nice. It's not full, succulent, flavorful uh, mango. But people want it fast nowadays. You know? So they put a lot of hormones for the mango to grow and fruition. Now, let's say... Nine years later, it's your second, it's your second harvest. Uh, how many seeds did you plant? One. How many trees do you get? One. But one harvest, how many fruits are you getting? Yeah? So probably about 30 edible ones, 30. You know, not every mango is edible, 30. That's from one seed nine years ago. Now you get 30. But this is not nothing. This is nothing 
to be uh, happy over yet because imagine another nine years within that nine years every year how many more hundreds or even up to a thousand mangoes we are going to get in that in that period of time okay now this is a miracle of proper education that if we can educate a person in the dhamma and that person having been educated uh, carries on the legacy and heritage many more will benefit from that dhamma right but if you go back to the first two miracles let's say we float in the air which i can't anyway uh, i don't want to create any doubts uh, uh, in you which i can't i can't walk on water i can't plunge into uh, earth as if it was water and so on if if we do that probably uh, you will attract uh, 10000 people and we need to use the padang or santak city you know after that after that what has changed see they had a lot of faith and enthusiasm so out of that side they will create dogmas they will create beliefs and where there are beliefs there are also disbeliefs must be some kind of trick and magic one uh, black magic maybe no don't don't believe so out of every belief there are also disbeliefs out of every dogma there are anti dogmas out of every thesis there are antithesis and so on and that creates papangja 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 proliferation of all these things and these are merely proliferation of thoughts and ideas and not understanding and realization of anything truthful yes we are left amazed maybe entertained perhaps but none the wiser so this kind of thing doesn't last you understand during those days you no know, buddhist monks are not uh, allowed to perform such miracles right but some did anyway but non buddhist uh, teachers during those days they also perform all kinds of miracles during buddha's time the monks were prohibited to perform anyone who performs these things or even claim that they can it's parajika number 4 expulsion even today it's parajika number 4 okay but none none performed during buddha's time some other uh, religious teachers who are non buddhist they perform but look at what has happened their teachings and religions never last 2600 years like buddhism correct they perform that's why kevada said you see other religions their religious teachers they perform please allow our monks to perform buddha said no why we can see in retrospect when we look from our perspective today those teachers who preach different doctrines and religions who have performed miracles in order to inspire others their teachings never last even a few hundred years not 2600 years like the buddha's uh, teaching you see reading minds is the same same thing yeah, yeah many f- famous uh, mind readers isn't it even people who can tell fortunes also uh, they have a following but after they die uh, the people who are following them um, gain nothing none the wiser true or not so that is why the buddha only approve of the miracle of education we call it anusasani patihariya sasani means instruction anu means one following another gradual way a systematic way so it's a systematic gradual instruction of a person wherever his station is in life 
whatever stage he starts from. He may start with uh, high wisdom and intellect, for example, Sariputta. I suppose uh, Buddha had a very easy time with Sariputta, right? But he didn't have such an easy time with other monks or other nuns or other lay people. Wherever a person starts from, uh, with a gradual and proper and systematic instruction, then we are performing that uh, miracle of education. So today, when we are sharing Dhamma with others, when we are uh, teaching, or, you know, when we are printing, publishing books, we are part of that uh, lineage yeah, of uh, miracle workers. If a Christian says, that, oh, let's perform some miracle, you know, we are all descendants of uh, miracle workers, then Buddhists too are real miracle workers if we propagate the Dhamma uh, in a systematic, gradual way. Provided it's the real Dhamma. Yeah. So we are all miracle workers. So I, I uh, emphasize to the Nalandian uh, officers and teachers, I say, you, you are um, teaching and people look up to you. But make sure we are not teachers. We are first and foremost students. Satar Bhagava Savako Hamasmi. The Buddha is the teacher. I'm merely a student. Janati Bhagava Nahang Janami. The Buddha is omniscient, he knows. But I still don't know everything. Therefore, I have to learn. When we maintain this kind of attitude, then we are safe to continue uh, doing uh, propagation work, not forgetting our uh, status as student. We have to learn. Whatever we learn, we share without uh, uh, any stinginess. So this is what uh, Nalanda is, is doing. And uh, Brother Vincent, uh, who is not here tonight, asked me what is the meaning of Nalanda because he wrote an article in the Straits Times about Nalanda. So I shared with him the, the name Nalanda. In fact, it was given by our late venerable teacher. Uh, you, you probably know him. He's a Sanganayaka of Singapore as well as Malaysia. The late venerable uh, Damananda. Uh, you know him? Many people have met him personally. He was uh, one of my teachers as well. And he gave the name Nalanda. So it was like a sentence to me. Um, usually, I, I call it another name. I call it the Sri Sadang Buddhist Center, named after the place of Sri Sadang. When I went to tell him, I said, oh, this is the name we are going to register. Then he turned around and said, name it Nalanda. And I was uh, shocked for four days. I, I went back to digest. I said, Ayo. I feel that the name was too big. I feel that we, we are a very small group. At that time, we only have like 24 people and uh, uh, very young people at that. And uh, I, I wasn't even 30 when, when we started the center. And we felt, no, it's just too big. But then no compromise from him. Yeah. He said, why you don't like the name I give? I know, sir. No, sir. <laughs> it's good, man. but we are not confident. He said, just do it. Just do it. You know? so, do whatever you can. So we, we just continued doing without looking back, without looking back how much we have done and how many. You know, this is not the way of journeying. When you are driving in a in a very uncertain terrain, um, the the best and practical way is not always to look back on the road you have just travelled, but be very mindful and careful what is ahead of you. You know, don't don't fall into a chasm or don't fall into a gorge. Uh, that's more practical and and wiser. So no time to look back. So today I, I, I take the back seat and look at the, the thing also. Yeah, quite nice. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So this is some background. Nalanda. Nalang means uh, blue lotus. Yeah. 
blue lotus, um, this is your pink lotuses. Blue one is called Nalang. Yeah? Uh, white one is called a different name. Red one is called a different name uh, in Sanskrit. So Nalang, a blue lotus, represents wisdom and knowledge. Okay? Da, from the word Dadati, which is to give. So Nalang, Da, Dana, Da. Da is Dana. The gift of knowledge and wisdom. So this is a very good name for uh, Nalanda in India in the past. But uh, yeah, we, we, we are just the namesake. Yeah? So uh, um, this is uh, the background about the Buddhist education and, and, and uh, what, what is uh, the heritage and, uh, about it. So tonight I would probably like to open the floor for discussion. Um, if anyone would like to comment on what is you know, your idea about Buddhist education, what can be done for Singapore, for the world, uh, you're most welcome to share. Okay. So I think uh, to start the ball rolling, I just want to uh, understand that uh, despite the small numbers as the members, uh, 70 members, uh, Brother Tan did share with us in the afternoon, say that they select members, uh, despite uh, members want to come to be uh, volunteers, they have to go through a one year kind of training, and after one year training, it's like going for a job, go for an interview, and see whether you're suitable or not. And uh, with that, they stand out among so many Buddhists in, K- in, in Kuala Lumpur or Malaysia. Or in Malaysia. Uh, if we're going to do that, I think we don't have the capacity. I think uh, people will run away because getting volunteers is sometimes uh, not easy. And for them to be committed is more difficult. How are you able to uh, retain these people and be committed and do so many things? Actually, we face the same difficulty in recruitment as well. It's not people are flocking to Nalanda, I mean, flocking away from Nalanda. That's more, more, more likely. Because when they, when they hear of Nalanda, in KL especially, everyone was like, oh, you're a difficult place to, to uh, uh, get in, even to them. But the, the reason why we, we um, uh, have a, a, what you call specific requirements for our volunteers and especially members um, is for them to really treasure um, their role um, as a service provider. And we are not just providing services in a lackadaisal, uncommitted way. Uh, we are servicing the Buddha Sasana. And uh, it requires uh, um, understanding and devotion and uh, also tolerance and perseverance. So we need special training for that. It's not an elitist kind of uh, ideology. In fact, uh, I, I'm not an elitist. Um, I don't think that we have to select only the best uh, Aryan race uh, to serve the Aryan teaching. You know, I, I don't believe in that. I'm very egalitarian. But I feel that there, there must be a certain quality uh, in our experience as a service provider. And that, that quality, that happiness, that joy, uh, that growth can only be experienced if we are properly guided and trained. So it's, it's a, a little bit of orientation, it's a, a little bit of a, a training, one week of training actually. And uh, if you want to be a member of Nalanda, which we only have 70, you have to become a volunteer first for one year. But anyone can be a volunteer after uh, an interview and one week's training. And you can start serving. So it's not really elitist. It's not difficult to be a Nalanda volunteer, but it's more difficult to be a Nalanda member. 
So people ask me this common question. Um, so uh, what's the benefit? It's so difficult becoming member. What's the benefit we get as a member? I say, ah, it's very important. As a member, uh, you get more work. <laughs> That's the benefit. Then they didn't understand, you know, wow, that one you call benefit. I say, yes. People out there do not have this opportunity to serve. You know, even if they want to, they are not given a, a full blessing, a full full uh, uh, support to, to serve the community. And sometimes the area of service may not be really that meaningful. You know. And as members, uh, we know how meaningful it is. And I don't have to tell you. You see it for yourself. You feel it already. For example, when we serve, uh, we don't need a monk or a nun or a Dhamma speaker to tell us, when you become a Buddhist, when you keep five precepts, you can be so happy. And when you give dana, you are happy. You know, when you give food offering and alms and so on, you can be happy. We don't need people to, to tell us that. Because when we give, even though nobody has told us, when we, uh, because speak Mandarin cut off. Uh, <laughs> only Pali and English mic. I try again. We can we can actually uh, we can actually uh, see our sentiments, our feelings at the moment after we give or after we keep a day of eight precepts or, or after we finish a retreat. Nobody needs to tell us that uh, we are happy, but we already feel that happiness. So this is what we keep on telling the members. You know, feel for yourself, see for yourself. No, not Nalanda telling you or I telling you or Bhante telling you or anyone telling you not Buddha telling you see for ourselves what the Buddha has said is it true or not what I've done and this is the result I can no. this is the, the, the crux of the issue here if members are not uh, able to see for themselves then probably they cannot see themselves working for a long time but if they are able to feel that spiritual growth in a very supportive environment, then the commitment is natural. Yeah. And uh, uh, membership in uh, Nalanda is not automatic renewal. Every year you have to reapply. Yeah. If you miss one whole year of service, then you can start all over again as a volunteer. <laughs> year. It's, it's that, it's that uh, uh, stringent. And uh, one thing about Nalanda is it applies to everyone, including myself. Everyone is the same. And this is, again, a, a Buddhist uh, culture, Buddhist education. You can see in a monastery, um, those days as well as today, in large monasteries, in good monasteries, um, they might have a, a 200 monks, 200 bhikkhus, or 300 bhikkhus, or even up to 5, 500 bhikkhus in Burma. You can see that the most senior monk, as well as the just ordained monk, they, they do the same thing, you know. If you meditate so many hours, everyone meditates so many hours. If you clean the temple, everyone cleans together. It's a very egalitarian uh, uh, approach uh, to, to communal living. You know? And this grows the community. If I set myself apart and say that, no, my, my place is here and your place is there, and you remember your place, huh? and, um, it will not grow. It will not grow. Because this is not the right climate to, to grow people. 
so if we go back to the Dhamma and we go back to the culture, the, the spirit of Buddhism, um, I don't think um, we will fail to grow the, the, the center. No? The center may fail to grow um, eventually because we fail to grow our people. When people don't grow, temple don't grow. Temple may grow physically, but it becomes a touristic place, or a place of worship, a house of worship, but no longer a place where the miracle of education is performed on a daily basis. Okay. This, this is just a yeah. Yeah. Uh, Any questions uh, from the floor? We waited three months to get him, you know. So you want to ask another question, you can wait for another many months. Please uh, feel free because uh, now I'm a foreign worker here in Singapore. <laughs> Please make full use of a foreign worker. Um, what's the thing that you learn in the Buddhist and Pali school in Naranda? Right now I'm in diploma at Buddhist and Pali College in Mangala Vihara. Uh-huh. Um, so I'm learning basic doctrines of Buddhism, history, geographical expansion, um, social aspects, and Pali language. Oh, Mahasadhu, you are learning more here in Singapore mm. than mm. any other uh, Basically, we learn um, all those uh, in the Buddhist Institute um, because I used to teach those courses since 1999. We started together with uh, um, uh, Mangala Vihara. Uh, in the KL, we had the Mahavihara, and then here you have the Ma- Mangala Vihara. We started together, and since 1999, I was teaching those courses. So basically, now also we we uh, teach those courses, except Pali language. Except Pali language. Pali, we don't simply teach. Yeah. So, that's, that's the same. Yeah. yeah, sister. Um, hi, Brother Tan. Um, I noticed when we made the visit to Nalanda Buddhist Society, you have lots of young volunteers, even a very young volunteer who really stood in the front and did the chanting all behind us. How did you manage to inspire them? Who, When you were young, you started at 16. Were your parents were the one who inspired you? How did they plant the seed in you? reason why I'm asking is it's so difficult to inspire the young teenagers in Singapore right now. Um, I, how exactly we did it, I, I, I can't really uh, tell in words, but a lot of times we have to do things together with them. When we started the Dhamma school, um, I had to um, spend every Sunday with them. This is the way we, we teach. Um, I teach in a very traditional method, sit on a, about the same kind of chair, sit cross-legged and talk and talk and talk until uh, you cannot fall asleep. You know? If you are sleeping, we will talk until you wake up. <laughs> and it's a very traditional way of doing. Um, as I explained in the afternoon, when we want to uh, train teenagers, we don't play their game. We don't play by their rules. We will always lose out. Understand? So what we did at Nalanda Dhamma School, we created our own rules. You know, we created our own rules, and then we give them a, a real meaningful role to play. It's not, you are not there just to listen. Why you are there, you, why you have to so intently listen? Because next year, you are going to repeat what I say today to the new batch of students. You, know, you are going to do it. 
you know, and you have one year to prepare yourself to do that. So they have, so, you know, they have to copy, and then after school, you can see them stay back, you know, stay back after school to discuss your notes, my notes, how, what about the say already, not like that, spelling wrong. People like challenge, and people like a sense of purpose. But you cannot create too high a challenge, too big a challenge for today's pampered children. But, you know, if we continue to pamper them, uh, we, we, are, we are playing by their rules. So it, it's not the way we educate people. So things have to, to be done uh, um, differently. Okay? When I was young, of course, my parents were not Buddhist. My mother only became Buddhist about uh, 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 less than six years ago. Uh, in 2006, November, uh, I asked her to, to formally uh, take refuge, and, uh, and uh, no, I, I was the witness. And uh, today, not only she is a Buddhist, she, she is a true, uh, in a true sense, a uh, Buddhist or Dharma practitioner, uh, everyday chanting, everyday reflection, everyday meditation. And uh, every week, uh, dana at the temple, every quarter must go for a retreat. These are the some of the things I asked my mother. You must fulfill all these things, and then I will teach you Dharma. So, like last week, I was back uh, uh, home for one two days, a stopover at home. Uh, uh, after food, after meals, my mother would sit on the floor, this, and we are sitting on top. Yeah, and then she will ask questions on the Dharma. And I was last week uh, sharing with her some suttas from the Majjhima Nikaya, you know. And when we go out. Uh, because I seldom go back, people don't recognize me. They recognize my brother, but not me. So it's, oh, this is also my son, uh, and he's also my teacher. Said, huh? Your teacher? Yeah, yeah, my Dharma teacher. You know? So it's the other way around. I had to plant the seed in my parents. Yeah. So so uh, it wasn't easy. Yeah. And uh, that's that's what happened. I, mean, I I don't have any explanation how how that came about. Yeah. Any other questions? Did, did that answer your question, sister? Yeah. So for, for teenagers, it's always very challenging. Um, but but I, I think this is something that we have to understand. That people come to Dhamma Center not just for the information. Yeah. Do you come for information? I mean, if you come for information, when you have enough, um, also you will not do much with the information you have gained. People only start to do something with the information they have gained, once they also obtain inspiration. You have a lot of information. You won't do anything with it until you are inspired. So teenagers also, they require inspiration. So the education, the Buddhist education, the miracle is such that it's very inspiring. I got inspired because I, I see my teacher. and uh, he, he was a very old monk. He was a very old, old man. Yet he um, very uh, scrupulously, every day, 4.30, start the first session chanting and then meditation for one hour and then go for his pindapad. And every day, although he's a, such a senior monk, but he says, this is the practice, this is the way to liberation, this is the way to live. And it's just this. You know? And I got very inspired in that. It's not when you're older, you, you relax, you sit back and you know, kick your, your shoes up in the air and say, oh, now I'm senior. And, but, but this is what I, I really find inspiring. Okay. 
everyone does the, the, the same thing. Everyone lives the same way. Um, uh, everyone uh, practices so so uh, zealously at the same time in a very serene manner. And this really inspired me. So if we can create that kind of uh, uh, environment uh, for the teenagers, um, you have a sense of urgency, yet not uh, force, forced urgency, but a natural uh, inspired state, uh, then it works best uh, for the, the Dhamma to be tran- transmitted. Yeah. So it's how to, how to get that formula right. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we have representatives from various Buddhist groups. Yeah. Maybe you can mention, but how to get the Buddhist groups to cooperate in KL? But uh, in your effort to start Nanda, do you at the same time uh, face criticism that you are more Kekiang than others? Oh yes, yes. Always, Baratan knows everything. They say Baratan and all the things. When I was young, uh, I spent, before Nalanda, I was uh, 14 years in the temple, uh, always bullied, bullied, and uh, asked to do this, you know, like we have function, move chairs, and, and uh, move table from second floor down to basement, and then running around, cleaning this, cleaning that. Um, this is how uh, our, our Buddhist centers, our temples, may fail us because they never recognize that this person may be a special person with great potential. Um, nobody saw that, nobody recognized that, and nobody cultivated that. And we, we are who we are today uh, in spite of the system and not because of the system. In spite of the system, we still turn out okay. We never turn out okay because of the system. So this is something which I want uh, everyone to, to recognize also. That... Um, Dhamma uh, education and transmission is, is something very uh, personal and something very uh, individual. We cannot treat a Sunday school classroom like a, a normal school classroom. Uh, it has to be very uh, um, observant. You know, We observe the, the individual and encourage them to their fullest potential and not treat them as a class but treat them as a group or as a team of individuals. Okay, and uh, yeah, they they always say that we are we are gay kang gay gao, gay 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 di gay. Well, my response is gay kong eh, gay kong eh. If we channel all that energy into servicing the sasana, more work would have been produced, you know. And uh, this is part of uh, um, uh, our uh, cultivation from the Buddha's time, because during Buddha's time. People also criticize him. Well, a 35-year-old become teacher, and and uh, you know, and this and that. They they criticize the same thing about the Buddha, but uh, the the Buddha was was totally different. I mean, he he wasn't working because of uh, a praise or or uh, appreciation, and he he didn't stop working just because of criticism or misunderstanding. He he, he lived the Dharma, living for the Dharma. So if we remember the deeds and the life of the Buddha, then if we can just you know, stay true to that, I think uh, although we are not beyond reproach and beyond criticism, but we can handle the criticism when they come. Okay? And uh, also when it comes to working with other Buddhist organizations, um, uh, it's a, a greater challenge than working within one organization. 
different organizations have different ideologies. And uh, within one organization, sometimes you have a few ideologies, and um, you have to bridge that culture. And uh, there's uh, always the attachment that the way we do things, we have been doing it for a long time, and therefore we will continue to do it for some time to come. Um, they don't submit easily to to other ways of doing things, especially the ways done by other center. Uh, despite seeing that that center is doing better and more correct, it's not easy to surrender. You know? So how we can work together uh, with the various groups is not to uh, say that this is the only way of doing things. We can you know, go beyond that uh, uh, ritualistic kind of uh, practice or the activities or the programs. Go one step deeper. The fundamentals of doing it no, why you do those things it doesn't matter what you do but we must make sure that our devotees those that come to Nalanda and those that go to other viharas we must make sure our devotees learn the proper Dhamma so it doesn't matter what kind of style you do it doesn't matter what, what form of chanting you do it doesn't matter what suttas you chant also. but we must make sure that they learn when they come to the center so we start with that fundamental idea first you know, of education. Make sure they learn means make sure we provide the proper conditions for learning, isn't it? So in other way, we are not telling them, uh, hey, you also must do education, you know. But make sure they learn. If they come and serve, make sure our volunteers also learn the proper Buddhist uh, etiquette, uh, Buddhist culture, plus Buddhist doctrine. So by emphasizing the importance to grow our members, you grow your members, we grow our devotees, uh, in, in actual fact, we are actually uh, inviting everyone to focus on education. So when they have been doing it for some time, uh, it's easier then to talk about, okay, let's, let's now sit down and think about Dhamma school as a whole. It's easier to talk. You see? So we have to find <coughs> common purpose. And uh, we have to find a, 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 the least uh, common denominator. Uh, this is the way we can cooperate. In Singapore also, it's very challenging. Although I seldom come here, but uh, uh, when, when I see the situation, uh, it's an urban nation, and um, people are very busy, it's not easy to get volunteers, well, can be committed full-time and so on. And there are so many centers, just so many, um, doing okay. You know? Doing okay, but some not very okay. Uh, doing okay in a struggling way. Yeah. And doing okay, but in a struggling way. So it's even more challenging. Yeah. So if we are not doing okay, then we will find that there is a need to cooperate. But when we are already doing okay, despite the struggle, uh, we, we find that we, we, we can still carry on. You see? In, in KL, it was very fortuitous. It was very fortunate in a sense, because there are many centers that are not doing okay. There are many centers that have lost... Uh, their congregation tremendously. Um, churches are everywhere. And uh, people are, are lost because uh, the medium of uh, education in, in Singapore is also English. And uh, people are, are attuned to English. So it's nothing if we give this sharing in English. But in Malaysia, uh, people don't know English. Um, they don't study uh, in English schools anymore. We have Malay schools. Uh, Generally, the younger generations, up to 40, 45, they are not uh, attuned to English. 
So we will soon be out of job, so applying to Singapore. Uh, and uh, they, they see the congregations dwindling. And it's not inspiring, so people stop coming. So uh, it's, it's very um, unfortunate that that thing happened. But it's also fortunate in the other sense that when they are so uh, desperate, then they are more open to reforms. They are more open to cooperation. They are more open to uh, ideas. Yeah. So they visit each other and chankao. They can uh, learn from each other and they are more willing to to uh, um, implement in their own centers. And because of that, we can see a upward trend again, temporarily upward trend again. Yeah. So in Singapore, I don't think any group is that desperate yet. Sometimes uh, uh, what, what is fortunate, uh, what is a misfortune may turn out eventually with right effort and focus uh, become uh, an opportunity. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Tan shared with us in the afternoon that uh, he takes seven years to create a Tiriburan Council, which is a breakthrough. Uh, I look at it that uh, Singapore, uh, in particular, the Tiriburan group or whatever group, uh, we need to do something of collaboration in that area. Uh, how you manage to uh, make this happen? And I also see that uh, many centers practice, uh, no doubt, different uh, variations, uh, but the basic fundamental got to be there. So if there's a, t- there's a council to enforce, uh, it will be uh, very uh, uh, good for the uh, Buddha Sasnaka. So what is your advice to us how to uh, create this kind of spark uh, to have collaborations in say for the start Tarabadant uh, traditions and I, I understand it will take seven years to make it happen yeah the idea of forming a Theravada council for Malaysia started seven years ago uh, when the late uh, venerable Damananda was alive and I told him that chief you are chief you are our chief and uh, everyone comes to you naturally because of your seniority your knowledge your, your stature but uh, after you, there will be no one else. And uh, it's, it's quite a, a perilous uh, kind of situation uh, when that comes. But yes, uh, so it didn't happen. Uh, and he passed away, and uh, uh, eventually there was without much leadership. In the past, the government or um, other religions, when they want to dialogue and get the Buddhist view on the, uh, uh, scandals and Buddhist events and so on, they always know where to go to. But now uh, they don't know who to go to. So they go to any temple, any monk. And sometimes you see this monk say this, that monk say that. Then uh, tomorrow's paper, you will see another monk contradict the two. He said that the two is wrong, I'm right. And uh, it, it becomes a, a, a situation like the Kalamas. You know? So uh, out of necessity, again, we said better to have a Theravada council. Sometimes you have monks contradicting each other. And more serious than that, you have monks uh, not following the discipline. But another monk will be reluctant to, to tell him off. There's no proper channel to, to uh, what you call, uh, keep every, everything in, in proper order. So out of necessity, and it has taken years, seven years, for us to finally establish the Theravada Council this year. But there was a stopgap uh, before the Theravada Council. Two years ago, we formed the Buddhist Community Alliance, uh, five societies, including Nalanda. Um, we did a lot of joint uh, activities and programs, and uh, 
uh, every six months, all the members from these five societies will gather, and all our students will gather, and we will chant together uh, in a uniform way. We have agreed to come up with a uniform chanting book. Now in Malaysia, every center has their own chanting book and their own style. You know? But at least five societies can cooperate now, and we, we are starting that. Uh, we have common uh, Buddhist training uh, chanting for everyone. And uh, our Sunday service is the same you know, for five centers. You can go to any, and uh, eventually it will be the same. And uh, eventually the Dhamma schools will be the same. We train the teachers the same, with the same syllabus. And teachers, if you get tired with Nalanda, you can transfer to another school. Or the teacher from that school may be promoted as the assistant principal in that school. It's like a civil service already. You know? Then, whichever center has a lack of uh, manpower for that particular area, immediately we can transfer. Now it's impossible. Because when you go there, it's a totally different culture, different politics, uh, even different contents. So it's impossible for me to even go to the center to teach. Because it's a brother Tan, this is not what we practice. I'm so sorry, yeah, you, you're knowledgeable, but no, it's not usable here, not practical. So uh, that limits the mobility of our resources. So this is also many of the reasons why we, we, we set up this PCA. And once the other society saw, hey, how come we are not in this life? You know, why are you so elite? You say, you know, oh, not elite. If we start off with 15, we, we probably cannot move. Okay? It's, it's, too thin, it's too difficult to move 15 in the same direction. But 5, well, it happened. Hey, we want to join here. Oh, sorry, we have a moratorium. When we signed the MOU to establish this uh, alliance, we said that within this period of years, uh, we cannot admit another member. But after the moratorium, yes, we can. Yeah. But what we can do is, we can establish a wider nationwide council. And they say, oh, like that good idea. <laughs> uh, people don't want to be left out. So what we target was the, the big apples first, the big five first. Once the big five has agreed, then the rest will just follow. Because you know, no, no point uh, uh, not being part of the consultative process. Better to have a say and better to have an inner working and understanding of, of uh, the, the communities, uh, what you call pulse. Yeah. So um, sometimes when we do things, we want to keep you know, materializing. We have to stay focused, keep on track. Sometimes you need a little bit of sidetrack, but always come back to the... Uh, original purpose, and uh, yeah, not only seven years. If it takes seventeen years, we also have to, we have to have to go along. If something is important, if something is essential, then just work on it until it happens. No, this is what I think. Is if uh, Buddhist education is important, just work on it. Just carry on. You know, along the way we will learn. Along the way we can improve. Along the way we can change. But just carry on. And we can't wait until all the conditions are right. Oh, we have teachers or not? Yes. We have principal or not? Yes. We have good board of management or not? Yes. We have uh, facilities or not? Yes. We have resources or not? Yes. I, I don't think there's an ideal situation in any uh, country where all these factors are already there, then they, they start. That would be very uh, fortunate. But I don't think in Singapore, in Indonesia, in Thailand even, in Malaysia, uh, no such uh, a fortress state. So we start where we are. Correct or not? For example, when we want to uh, stay healthy, 
It doesn't matter now that you are already healthy or now that you are very sick, you start where we are. So what I see for the community is a better uh, supported community where Buddhists at least know Buddhism. In order for the average Buddhist uh, in Bunle or, or in Pasiris to know Buddhism, when you ask, are you Buddhist? Yes. Um, may, may I know who is the Buddha? Oh, yeah. Buddha is uh, our enlightened teacher and so on. And then the, the teaching that he taught is Dhamma and then the Sangha is, is uh, the, one of the three and these three are our refuges. If you ask any Buddhist, Mahayana, Theravada, yeah, in Singapore, and the average Buddhist can answer that, then your education system has worked. Okay. If you ask the average Buddhist, you know, doesn't matter woodlands or Potong Pasir, if you ask them, and Buddha, Buddha is like our God. You then you know that your, your education system has not been that effective. So my, my thinking is that the, the average uh, Buddhist must at least know uh, basic Buddhism. Right? In Malaysia, the average Muslim knows a bit about Islam. They're not very deep also. They're, not everyone is a scholar despite it being on TV every time. Not everyone is, but at least they know. Why? They have compulsory religious classes from kindergarten onwards for Muslims up to university. A non-Muslim, a Chinese, who goes to a Malaysian university is uh, required to take Islamic studies in their first year uh, university studies. So the average Malaysian knows the, the the correct version of Islam, the Sunni uh, teaching in Malaysia. And I believe uh, Christians also make it a point that the average child or the average Christian family at least knows the Trinity or at least knows a little bit about uh, uh, Christian Gospels and teachings. Have the Buddhists done enough? You are here as parents, your your children, your your nephews, your nieces. Have, Have we done enough? Uh, they are Buddhists too, but uh, they don't know anything. Ha, huh? You don't know one. <laughs> we just laugh off. But what, what is the effort that we make to make them understand? We only lament when they do foolish things like these two Malaysian youths who <laughs> uploaded everything and everyone in KL was so shocked, it's so scandalous. you know. And, and they feel very proud of it, over their actions. Really... Uh, when you're foolish and don't know you are foolish, then you are a real fool. It's really foolish. Yeah. And uh, you know, shame to their parents and family. They, they dare not go out already. Everyone ridiculed them. How you bring up your daughter? The son is one thing, your daughter. Uh, keep saying that. You know. And, and uh, if, if we also know that this, these people were Buddhist or are Buddhist, then how would we feel? Yeah. So in Singapore, there's, there's a lot to, to consider. And uh, definitely, uh, if we do a lot of things, we should not neglect um, the, the educational aspect. Right? Yeah. We help people who are dying. We help people uh, who have passed away. We help their family to arrange for all these things. You know? Every process we help. But the essential thing is we help them while they are alive to understand Dhamma. This cannot be lacking. Right? 
So it's not okay. Now is the fellowship's uh, responsibility. Now is Pokaksi Gongmengsan's responsibility. Now it is Pumansi uh, uh, or whatever uh, temple or organization's responsibility. No. How about ourselves as an individual Buddhist? You know, are we also uh, following the the uh, admonition of the Buddha that every one of us is responsible for the welfare of the world? Um, and by simply the gift of Dhammadana, we are already helping the world to become a better place. Have, have we fulfilled that? See? Yeah. Just now we were also sharing that to maintain any temple, we need dana from people, right? So when people come, uh, whether they can give uh, money, donation, or they can give their time to volunteer, uh, this is the dana of the people. But we must not forget that there is the dana from the temple to the people. And the dana from the temple is in the education that we provide for. You know, that when we provide that dhamma dana, which is, which is such rare, uh, important, uh, treasurable gifts, people grow. When they grow, um, the temple grows. When, when, when people don't grow, uh, the temple may grow in size, but um, not, not in spirit, uh, not in essence. Right? So we must not forget that as a temple, we have to provide dana. So this is my uh, constant reminder to, Nalan, to Nalanda members. I said it is our responsible, responsibility as a society, as a center, to do dana. We don't just think, hey, dana, dana, the other way. It's our responsibility to provide dana. And our dana is not every member that comes, we give 100 ringgit incentive. It's not that they don't need that. What they need is a proper place to learn proper dhamma in a proper way. If you provide that, you are doing your part uh, in the miracle of education. <laughs> I think we have a lot to digest and a lot of things to do. Okay. Yeah. Hello, brother. May we learn from you how do you actually choose and qualify Dharma speakers? Um, to be honest, I have never chosen uh, or qualified any Dharma speakers. Myself, I'm, I'm not chosen by anyone, neither were I qualified by anyone. But I think there is, there is an emergence. Um, we allow people to emerge and we have to recognize that well, Dhamma teachers or, or people who are teaching or facilitating Dhamma learning may themselves not be enlightened and that we ourselves may be full of uh, defilements. And uh, what, what we need to create is a condition for after emerging as a Dhamma leaders and we share Dhamma, there is also a platform for people to, to remain as students. Sometimes it's very easy to, to be carried away that, you know, after so many years, 10 years we earn this. And after earning this, it's already 10 years for me. So after so many years, you know, uh, from the dais, and it's very easy for us to forget uh, our ignorance. There's so much that we, we haven't learned. There's so much defilements left in us that we haven't focused on. Um, I think it's important to have that condition and platform um, for, for us uh, Dhamma uh, speakers or teachers or Sunday school teachers to continue to grow. If we don't grow, we cannot grow our charges, we cannot grow our students. 
So that condition must be set right. Uh, this is this is how. And uh, also in uh, Malaysia, there's uh, attrition. There are many people who come and and give talks, and uh, uh, devotees are also very smart. You know, they are not like a sheep going meh meh like that. And they go to a place and they listen to this speaker and say, nah, nah. And uh, after some time, uh, this speaker will not be invited. And it's a natural attrition. So this is how the, the, the people have voted. Uh, 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 in a way, you know, it's not reality show, but this is reality. <laughs> that people have voted with, with their going around. Okay. Yeah, so, so yeah, there are some who, who, who give talks who, who do not go according to the teaching, but then they, they can sometimes uh, take a very uh, ecclesiastical approach, uh, sometimes they take a very uh, lib- liberal approach, they quote uh, from uh, many traditions, even non-Buddhists, um, they, they quote Mother Teresa, and they quote Gandhi, and they quote Bhagavad Gita, and so on. There are some pe- speakers who go that universal way, there are some like, like uh, uh, myself, I prefer to be uh, everything uh, um, uh, from the scriptures, so it depends on what people like, you know. But as long as we are providing what we, we think uh, is the correct teaching, uh, and there is a place in the city or in the country where people can go to for that, I think we are uh, fulfilling that responsibility. Yeah. Hey, Brother Dan. Um, thank you for the very engaging sharing. Just a question on... Um, for Singaporeans, even as an individual, sometimes we always use stress, no time, and we don't want to come to Dharma talk, right? So, what do you think are the few areas that as an individual should do to start working in a journey of, you know, learning all the right teaching from the Buddha? I mean, I'm saying in the context of being a stressful society, I think the society is also getting very unkind. That's why even Singapore government has to launch a Singapore kindness campaign just to make sure that you know, uh, it's moving into a more gracious society. So from your point of view, coming from KL, maybe you can share with us what are the few areas you think Singapore can work towards a more gracious society from an uh, education of uh, Dharma teaching. Uh, thank you. This is something that we emphasize at Nalanda also. A, we have four components of education. Number one, knowledge. You, you need basic knowledge, what Buddhism is about. Number two, skills. You know, skills can be um, practicing skills. For example, this afternoon we were talking about right effort. Right effort, we, we need to be very skillful when to apply effort. Okay. And also meditation, skills in meditation is also a part of the Buddhist education, you know, uh, skills in entering uh, samadhi and uh, out of samadhi, those are also skills pertaining to practice. Third, values, you know, Buddhist values, what are Buddhist values? Honesty and integrity, sila, you know, are we honest and integral in our daily living? Um, with our family, are we very honest? Um, or sometimes we just like it doesn't matter whether I I tell half truth or I conceal the truth or, or 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 anything. What is the principle that we carry in our life? You know, integrity, kindness, 
Yeah, is it part of our value system? Respect, respect for other people. When other people are talking, even though they are younger than me, um, I allow them to finish their sentence before I, I stop them. That is also basic respect. You know, if I meet people on the street and I'm entering and they're coming out, I say, okay, you're you're older, I allow you to come out. Or no, 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 not today. I'm 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 rushing for time. So what is the principle? What is the value? This is the third aspect of education. The fourth aspect of Buddhist education is. C, culture. What is culture? Culture is not the way you dress or the way you sit. Culture is the manifestation of the values you have. Okay? If, if, you, have a, if you really value calmness and mindfulness, then your culture, your, your behavior will always be tending towards being mindful and calmly and, and more tranquil and more serene. So culture is actually the manifestation of values. We can uh, inculcate values by having the culture. Or from culture, it will manifest into values. Either way, what the government is doing from this campaign is to have that culture first. And then hopefully after some time, it becomes a value system for the society. And for Singapore, it has worked. You have had so many campaigns that I, I can't even remember. All the, we, we used to see oh, another campaign from Singapore. Almost every month there is a campaign, there's a slogan, you know. And uh, in Malaysia, we are quite amazed, you know. But over the years, you see that many of those things have worked. So this is how the government is thinking about it, to have that culture generally, and hopefully over years it becomes again the value system. No. This is one way. Yeah. So remember, Buddhist education, there are these four aspects. The first one is? Knowledge. Okay. Second? Skills. Third? Values. Fourth? Culture. Okay. In a Dharma school, you cannot teach values at all successfully. You can only teach culture uh, and also knowledge. But value has to be in the administration. Has to be in the in the way uh, they feel the values. Okay, you cannot be talking about generosity and unselfishness, and yet they don't see it in the teacher. Yeah. So values are transmitted in a different way than knowledge. You understand? So what, what makes a Buddhist education in Dharma school sometimes fail is that people also try to inculcate values like they share knowledge. It doesn't work that way. Okay. For example, no matter how I shout about being peaceful and how I shout about being mindful and how I, you must be, you know, you, then only you have samadhi and so on. It, it, it doesn't help anyone to get into samadhi. If you keep drumming in day and night also, for 10 day retreat also, it doesn't help anyone to go into samadhi. You know? But if I'm peaceful, if I'm mindful, if I'm very serene, then when people come and sit with us, eat with us, talk with us, after 10 days, they also feel, I'm so relaxed and peaceful. Mm-hmm. And they feel it. Not a single time you drum in that you need to be this, you need to be that. You, you just live it, you know. 
And this is how in a Dharma school, in a Dharma classroom also, you need different channels and different ways and manners to succinctly and successfully inculcate these uh, four aspects of uh, Buddhism. Okay? And culture is very important. For example, um, if, if you go to a, a place, uh, let's say if you go to Nalanda, and you see the slippers are everywhere, you know, not, not left properly, not arranged properly. And then it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't show that this is a great educational institution. Because they may be very knowledgeable, but they are not cultured. The, the, the way things are, it doesn't show that people have actually learned. You know? They might have learned that they have the knowledge, they can tell you, oh, we need discipline and so on. Look at how they put their shoes, it's more than enough. So culture is also very important. So a successful education will have a, a, a different kind of culture emerging. You know? Yes, with the right effort and the right time, yes. Can I have the last questions other than the Buddhist members, BF member, give other people a chance because we don't want to monopolize the mind. Uh, maybe coming san Felix, you want anything to ask? But anyway, uh, Dr. Tan will be here tomorrow, uh, 11 o'clock Dhamma talk, and uh, if you've got so many burning questions, you still, you still can come tomorrow uh, because I think we've got to wrap up uh, the session. And of course, I will pass the mic to uh, Brother JD to ask a question because the staff need to go back. So uh, this will be the last question, and I will do one short announcement, and we close the session. Okay? This, this is going to be a very short question. Uh, we have a lot of uh, Dharma volunteers here. A lot of time, they really don't have time to listen to Dharma talk. So, how is the temple or organization going to give dana to them? Since, you know, they give dana but they don't receive anything in return. A lot of time, they don't have time. So, what are the things that the temples can do to help these people? Yeah. Um, I'll just share what we did. We, we sent short clips of uh, uh, three paragraphs. I always ask them to, to write or paraphrase three paragraphs of Dhamma and then uh, email to all those benefactors that cannot come. You know. And uh, at least, you know, sometimes people are from Penang and uh, they send a check over to Nalanda. And obviously we cannot go there and, and you know, really give them anything. But if, uh, periodically, every week, they, they receive an email on the Dhamma. Um, um, three paragraphs for me. I never allow more than three. And uh, it, it it, it really feels it really feels that wow this is the right bite size and uh, people appreciate that yeah. this is something we can do make full use of the social media if I give uh, talks at Nalanda which I seldom do uh, but if I do it's always uh, summarized into three paragraphs and it's always uh, published in the uh, maybe Facebook or in the website and then uh, people can see we have also uh, Nalandians who have gone to Australia to study and they, they feel really touched when they, they continue to receive teachings. Okay. So nowadays it's easier. Okay. Yeah. Okay, uh, shall we say sadhu? Three times. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu.